You ready for the word? Yes. All right, the book of Ephesians. Open up, please. We're in Ephesians. We're going to do the introduction to this book, and then we're going to do the first two verses. And um, just going to take our time through this book because it's filled with revelation, filled with nuggets. And so we're going to take our time and, and mine that out in Jesus' name. And so let's, uh, let's go ahead and read the first two verses. So if you could stand, please. And in honor of Miss Cindy and, and over there, the, when you read the, the scripture, the, everybody reads it together. And so I think that's a good thing to do. If you just watch the screens, we'll, we have the New King James up here. So we're going to read the, it's not going to take long, it's only two verses. But, but let's read uh, together. All right, let's read. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God that's filled with the nutrients that we need and we're going to be filled with it and nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the spiritual teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace. And Father, speak to your children that walk away hearing from you in a very special way. Only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Give someone a high five on the way down. All right, so let's get into the introduction to this book, the book of Ephesians. So let's look at the author. Who's the author of this book? Well, you guys are sharper in the first service. <clears throat> you caught the clue by the first word in the book, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul is the author of this book, the date that it was written in, around AD 61. And where was he at this time when he wrote this book? He was in Rome. What was he... What was he what was happening to him in Rome? He was imprisoned. And so Paul's actually going to be imprisoned twice in, the, in Rome. And the first time, he's actually in a better situation. The end of Acts, you're going to find that the end of Acts, he's going to be in prison in Rome, but he's going to be in house arrest. He's going to have his own hired house. And so for two years, he has the, the financial means to be able to hire a house out so he doesn't have to go to the dungeon or to the prison. And so, so much for poor preachers. And so he was able to have his own hired house. He had, he had soldiers there guarding him. But he had people freely coming in and coming out and preaching the Word of God for a space of two years. And so this, that's the setting. The message of the book is that Paul strengthens the believers in their Christian faith by explaining the nature and purpose of the church, the body of Christ. And so the book of Ephesians is around the, about the body of Christ. Tell someone this book's all about you. And Colossians is a sister book to Ephesians. You find a lot of the same verses and same, some topics and themes and breakout in the book of Colossians. But Colossians have a different focus. In the book of Colossians, the focus is Christ, the head of the church. Ephesians is the body, the church itself. So that's the difference between those two. And so let's look at uh, the first three chapters and the last three chapters have great balance in the word of God. The first three chapters deals with the vertical position of grace 
And what God has done in grace, who he's made you to be in grace, what he's given you because you're in Christ Jesus. And the last three chapters speaks of what do you do because of that grace? How do you appropriate that grace? And so what is the proper response to God's grace? Faith. Faith's the pop proper response to grace. So the last three chapters is how, by, how to appropriate the grace of God and apply it in your life. How to apply it in, the, in your church life, how to apply it in your home, in your children, in your workplace, and also in marriage. And tell someone it takes grace for your marriage. Amen. And lastly, he speaks of that we, we have authority over the devil. And so almost as an afterthought, he says, oh yeah, there's a devil. And so you have authority over him, and, but he puts it last. He's going to talk about identity first. He's going to talk about who you are and what you have before he talks about the devil. Then he's going to talk about how to keep the devil out of your life, how to keep it out of your house, keep it out of your marriage, out of your children, and keep it out of your workplace, and how to tap into the grace of God in each of those areas. The devil has no place. And he says, then if after that you still have some problems with the devil, let me teach you how to stand against them and puts it at the very end of the book. And so that's, that's called balance. Say balance. And so I printed out a balance sheet. You have a sheet there, and front and back, it's basically telling you the differences between the first half of the book of Ephesians and the second half of the book. The difference between the grace and faith, the balance of grace and faith. Someone wrote a book called that, The Balance of Grace and Faith. Andrew wrote a book, right? And so this book reveals the great balance of the Christian life. That's what's needed more than anything is either we're all, taught, we're all focusing on our behavior, all just focusing on our identity. No, we need both, but we have to have our identity first, and then it affects our behavior. So let's have a breakout of this book. The first chapter speaks of God the Father is the main, uh, the main emphasis of the first chapter, God the Father, and it's his eternal plan of redemption. We're going to find out God planned salvation before there was ever a problem, that God have, uh, had a, a problem for Adam and Eve's problem, and had a solution to it before they ever had the problem. Tell someone God has your answer before you ever had the problem. Some of you facing a hairy situation. It has teeth. But guess what? God has already provided the answer to it before you ever had the problem. We need to see what God has provided for us. And so first chapter is God the Father and his eternal plan of redemption. The second chapter, the main focus is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in this chapter, we're going to see how he completed the plan of salvation. Went to the cross, was buried, rose again from the dead, and was ascended up on high. And we're going to see that, that through what Jesus did, he completed the plan of salvation. The third chapter deals with the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. In the third chapter, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit sent to reveal the plan of salvation. It's not, it doesn't really aid us if God the Father planned it doesn't really aid us if Jesus completed it, but you never know about it. And you don't see what took place when you had that. So that's what chapter 3 is about, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4 goes horizontal. Before that were vertical, vertical trees before the Father, but now we go horizontal. Tell someone you need to go horizontal. But not yet. Stay vertical, go horizontal after church. Chapter 4 starts out with the word therefore, therefore. You don't just start out with therefore. It's based on everything that was said, all that God's grace has been given to you, who he's made you to be, what he's, been, what he's given to you, what do I do with it? How do I appropriate it? 
And so chapter 4 talks about, therefore, walk worthy of your calling. Speaking of your natural walk before the Lord, before the world. Chapter 5, again, deals with your home life, deals with your children, deals with, uh, deals with your marriage, and deals with things like that. And then chapter 6, we're going to talk about our authority over the devil. So you're ready for the first verse. Let's go into Ephesians and start unpacking this, this uh, chapter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus. So let's start breaking this verse down by looking at the very first word, Paul. In the Bible, people's names have significance to them. They have meaning to them. I think still, to, still today, your name is significant. I don't believe it's, a, it's a, just a happenstance. You were given the name you were given. And so they have a meaning. Go back and look up. What's the meaning of your name? And so it brings out purpose, brings out identity. And so we see Paul here. Does anybody know what Paul's name means in the Greek? It means small. It means little. And so Paul means little. But Paul was not, did not start out being called Paul. He was called what? Saul. Saul. The word Saul means desired. Desired. What is desired? And so he was named after someone in the Old Testament. Who was that? It's in the name. <laughs> Saul in the Old Testament, the first king. And Saul was all that in a bag of chips. He was desired everything they wanted to desire in a king. Outwardly, he was. He had the height. He had the muscles. He had the looks. He had everything going for him. He was desired everything that man looks at, but God looks at the heart. He was empty on the inside and so very insecure on the inside. And this was Paul of, of Tars, or Saul of Tarsus. He was just like him, filled with himself. He was what people looked at and said, wow, look at Paul. Keep the law like no one else. And he says, yeah, look at me. He was full of himself, but he was full of hot air like a bag of chips. And so we're going to find out, though, I always thought that the name got changed when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that, that Jesus showed up and he got knocked off his horse. He hit the ground so hard that the S got knocked off and a P got put on. <laughs> but that's not the case. It's 13 years later we see a name change. And it took a process to go from Saul to Paul from being desired and everything I want in the natural to being small in yourself so you, Jesus can live big in you. And so that Saul had to sweat Saul out of Saul in the backside of the wilderness like every great man or great woman of God is. And so, they, so he had to be sweated self out of him so that God could be big, big in him. So I want to look back in the book of Acts. When was the name changed? And what was the situation where his name changed? I think we can learn something from that. In the book of Acts, look at verse 13, chapter 13, look at verse 7. And so God's going to send Saul and Barnabas out on a mission trip, but Barnabas is in the lead. As a matter of fact, he, that, that Saul's been, been mentoring under Barnabas for years at, at the church of Antioch. And so Barnabas took Saul under his wing and been mentoring him, and Barnabas has been leading the team. I want you to see that in verse 7. Acts 13.7 says, Who was with proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man? This man called for Barnabas and Saul. Say Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas. Who's mentioned first? Barnabas. Barnabas. He's the leader of the group, the leader of the team. 
And this man's called Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear the word of the Lord. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for his own name was translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Look at verse 9. Then Saul, which means desired, who was also called Paul, little. This is the first time you find the word Paul is going to be given to him. But notice the next words, filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when he is filled with the Holy Spirit, he goes from Saul to Paul. Let me tell you something, is that if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with self. And a lot of people are trying to deal with self. You know what, I'm going to deal with self, I'm going to get self out, and I'm going to get the Holy Spirit in. You know, the more you try to work on self, the more self-centered you are. The only way you deal with self is get your eyes off self and get your eyes on Jesus. Allow him to fill you with the Holy Spirit and that subjugates self and then God fills you up. And so Saul went to Paul when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And verse 10 it says, and this is what he said to this, this uh, uh, Elymas. He said, oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness. Well, I thought... Well, pastor, I thought Christians are supposed to be nice. Make friends and influence people and be gentle and kind and loving. And boy, Paul was missing it this day. He said, he said, you're full of deceit. You're full of fraud. You son of the devil. And you enemy of all righteousness. You know who he learned from? Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees, you snake faces. You vipers. You whitewashed tombstones. And sometimes you need to call out sin, call out evil. Verse 11, and now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Notice signs and wonders opens people up to the teaching of the word of God. And so he was amazed by the teaching of the Lord, not just the signs and wonders. Look at verse 13. Now when Paul in his party, Paul in his party set sail from Paphos. It was from Barnabas to Saul, but now it's Paul in his party. He's taking the leadership role. When did that start? When he finally got to a place that I am nothing in myself, so Jesus can be everything in me, I am now ready to take leadership. So many of you waiting for your ministry to start. God's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to sweat you out of you. Because you're still saying, stand back, watch this, Jesus. I can do it. Famous last words. Now drop down to verse 43. We're going to see a change from Saul to Barnabas, uh, Barnabas and Saul. Acts 13, look at verse 43. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Now, Paul is in the leadership role. Barnabas realizes, I've been waiting for you to grow up. And now I recognize the call on you, and I submit in humility to your leadership. And so Paul takes the leadership when he becomes small in himself. Now move on. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Look at the word apostle. And the Greek word is a transliteration of the English from, from the Greek, apostolos. A-P-O-S-T-O-L-O-S, we will get the word apostle from. It means a sent one with authority and a message. Say a sent one. Sent one. Notice a sent one, not a went one. 
a sent one. Well, guess what, Pastor? I've been sent. God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That was given to the entire church, but you have a part of the world you're called to. You need to hear from God where your calling is, and you need to wait and be prepared to be a sent one, not a went one. There's a lot of people that are went ones that go out, and they're not prepared. How do you be prepared to be a sent one? Well, you first of all need to understand your authority, because when you go out in the devil's world, you're going to get attacked, and you better know your authority. Second of all, you have a message, and it's not your own. You have the message called the gospel. You need to understand your message. So to be a sent one, you need to also understand authority and your message. Now let's move on and talk about there's four categories in the New Testament of apostles. Apostles. In a limited sense, we're all little a apostles. So every one of us have been sent by the Lord Jesus Christ, given the Great Commission. We all have the authority in the name of Jesus and we also have all of the gospel to share. So in a little sense, we're a little A. Tell someone a little A, a little apostle. But there is an office of an apostle. And we're going to have five, four categories of the office of an apostle. And the first category only has one member in it. And never will have another member in it. The second category has, has 12 the next one has more than that. And the last one has many, many that are in that category of apostle. So let's look at the four categories of an apostle in the New Testament. The first one is the apostle of our confession. The apostle of our confession. And so guess what? There's only one in this group. And who is that? Jesus. His name Jesus. Tell someone you're not it. There's only one sent from heaven. To redeem man, to bring redemption to mankind. You have not called to redeem. You're to proclaim that message, but you weren't sent to cause redemption to take place. Look at Hebrews 3, look at verse 1. Hebrews 3, 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partaking, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, say the apostle, the apostle, and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. So he is the apostle sent from the Father out of heaven. Next category. There's 12 in this group, and they're the apostles of the Lamb. The apostles of the Lamb. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse 14. This is speaking of the heavenly Jerusalem. One day we're going to head there. A clue there, there's plenty of space. Revelation says that the city of the new Jerusalem is 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high the walls. And it mentions there's 12 foundations. Well, you think, well, maybe there's 12 foundations, but many scholars believe there's 12 layers to this, which would cause the space to increase great, uh, enormously. And so there's space for you for an estate. But look at Revelation 21, verse 14. Now the wall of the city, the heavenly Jerusalem, has 12 foundations, and on those foundations were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Who are the 12 apostles of the Lamb? The 12 disciples of Jesus. The 12 disciples. And so there's not going to be any more. I know Judas was broken off. Matthias came in. Now, if you want my opinion on Matthias, I will tell you later. I don't have time to break it in and talk about Matthias, but check with me later and we can talk about it. So let's move on to the third category. The third category of apostles are what's called foundational apostles. Foundational apostles. Well, who are these? These are the men that were used to write the New Testament. They, were, they wrote the foundation of the church is the word of God, the New Testament truth. 
And so they're called the foundational apostles. Look at Ephesians 2, look at verse 20. Ephesians 2, verse 20. It says, The church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so we have those apostles that wrote the word of God that we are building, the church is built upon. Lastly, we have a group that's still here today. We have many, many in this group, not everybody, but many are in this group even today. And this is called an equipping apostle, an equipping apostle. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11. Ephesians 4.11 says, And Jesus himself gave some, say some, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. So here we see an apostle. And so what's their purpose? Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. They're to equip the saints. Notice, equip, not whip. The fivefold ministry gifts are not to whip the saints. They're to equip the saints. And how long do we need to have the fivefold ministry gift? It says until we all grow up. Tell someone Jesus is waiting for you to grow up. And there's always going to be babies in the church, people that are going to be, to be matured and grown up until when? Until we reach the unity of the faith. Well, that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back. So we're going to need these. And so, again, there are many today. What are an apostle today? Those are the ones that start new works. They go out where there has not been a work or the name of Jesus mentioned. They preach the gospel. They start a work for God in an area not covered by someone else. And then they raise up leadership and start all over again. Start all over again. They start with a new work. And so, again... Uh, be careful about people that walk in and want to take over what's already been done. They'll come in and say, I'm, God's called me to be your apostle. <laughs> no, an apostle goes and starts their own work, and they go off. But let me say something about the apostle. And all these other prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, they are not titles. So I guess, so care students, please cancel the business card order that you have made. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, elder, bishop, man of power. and Okay, just cancel them because these are not titles. You never see Paul calls himself the Apostle Paul. It's always Paul called to be an apostle. It's function. Say, I have an unction to function. Schoolhouse Rock is about to come back. Function, function, what's that mean? Let's move on. An apostle of who? Jesus Christ. You're not your own. You're not some people, they just make it all about them. No, you're representing someone, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus means Savior. Christ means the anointed one. Christ is not his last name. That's his role. It's his ministry function he's in. He's the anointed one. Jesus is anointed to save you. And so Jesus speaks of the full humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ, the anointed one, speaks of his full divinity. So in one person, Jesus Christ, you have fully man, fully God in one person. That makes him unique than any other human being and qualified to bring salvation. He can lay his hands fully on man and fully on God, bring them together in an eternal covenant. 
that could never be broken. And only one person could do that. His name was Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, his divinity and humanity met in one location. Where in his being did the divinity and the humanity of Jesus meet? In his blood. In his blood. The blood that flowed through the human, the human body of Jesus was the blood of God. The blood of God. Well, pastor, I'm a word man. I'm a word woman. I want scripture for that. Well, okay, let me give it to you. Acts 20, look at verse 28. Acts 20, look at verse 28. Let's read it very carefully. Or we miss it. Let's read it very carefully. It says, therefore, take heed to yourselves. It means check yourself before you wreck yourself. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of who? To shepherd the church of who? Shepherd the church of who? Which he, God, purchased with his own blood. You You better believe and better hope that his blood was the blood of God because that blood wasn't like a man's blood. It was eternal blood that could go all the way back to Adam and go all the way back through eternity, crying out better things than that of Abel, keeping you in the eternal covenant of salvation. That blood is eternal, and that blood has forgiven you of all your sins, past, present, and future. All your sins were future 2,000 years ago when he died. Whatever order you find these in is what part of his being is being emphasized. Sometimes you find Jesus Christ. When Jesus is first, his humanity is emphasized. When you see Christ Jesus, many times you see Christ Jesus, his divinity is being emphasized in that verse. Here you see his humanity being emphasized here, and it's speaking with his calling and his natural calling in the earth. And when Paul is speaking about his natural call in the earth, it's Jesus Christ. To the saints... Who are in Ephesus? Say saints. saints. It's a very important word. It's the Greek word hagios, if you're taking notes. It's H-A-G-I-O-S, hagios. It literally just means set apart, set apart. And so the word in, these three words in the New Testament, when you find them, the word saint, sanctify, and holy, have this Greek word as the root. This Greek word hagios, whenever you see the word saint, sanctify or holy. So what's holy? It means to be set apart. And so a saint is a holy one. Tell someone you're a holy one. Well, pastor, you didn't see me last night. You didn't see me driving this morning. You didn't see the argument I had with my spouse on the way to church. Well, praise God, this is not your behavior. This is your identity that affects your behavior. And so Paul's going to use this word, and really, in the original language, the word hagios always included the idea of taking something that was filthy, washing it, setting it apart as something brand new and useful for a whole different purpose. Let me say that one more time. This word saint includes the idea of taking something that was filthy. Guess what? Before salvation, you were filthy. And guess what? When you got saved, you got washed. Say, I got power washed. In the blood. You've been washed. He set you apart as something brand new. You became a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. But not just a brand new, but set aside for a whole different purpose for when, before you were saved. And so guess what? Paul refers to the Ephesians in this letter, Saint calls them saints nine 
times. In the New Testament, Paul calls all Christians saints 60 times. Saints. Tell someone you used to be an ain't, but now you're a saint. Some Christians don't understand. They still say, I'm an ain't. No, you're not an ain't. You're a saint. In some divisions of Christianity, you can only be a saint after you die. After you're voted on and have proven to live a holy life, sufficient, and had, had performed notable miracles, you were voted, but you had to wait till after you died. Why? Because if they gave that to you while you're living, you would get it, bride. You have to die to get in the hall. You know, religion, that's religion. Religion gets it backwards every single time. The new covenant truth is you were born again a saint. You start out a saint in order to live holy and to perform miracles. And so you need to renew your mind that you're a saint. So I want you to practice. I want you to introduce the person to yourself to the person next to you and introduce yourself as saint in your first name. So do we have any St. Francis? Do we have any Holy Joes? Joanne, she's the Holy Joe. See, we, we have trouble be, being called a saint because we're attaching it to behavior. No, no, it's your identity. It's your identity. That, that's what you're put into the new birth and who you are in the spirit. You are a saint. In ancient Greek use, the word saint described the quality possessed by persons who could approach a deity, that, that had access and could approach a deity, because not everyone could. Look at Ephesians 2.18, as a saint, you have access to God. Ephesians 2.18 says, through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Tell someone you have access. You're a saint. You're a saint. All believers are saints by position and identity, but not all saints are living saintly. Let me say it again. All believers, say that for your spouse, this next, okay. All believers are saints by position and identity, but not all saints are living saintly. Being a saint is not dependent on behavior, but will impact it. So living saintly comes through the process of sanctification where you renew your mind to your identity. And the more you renew your identity as a saint, you will start living saintly. A saint is like a boat. The boat's purpose is fulfilled when it's in the water. But its function and usefulness deteriorate when the water gets in the boat. Likewise, saints are the most useful when they're in the world. But, it's, but if too much of the world gets into them, they're ineffective. Saints must keep, the vessels, keep their vessels in the water of this world, but not let the water of the world get into their vessel. You need to stay full of the word 
and full of the Spirit. If not, you'll be full of it. (laughs) To the saints who are in Ephesus in Christ Jesus. You have two locations as a believer. You have a natural location and you have a spiritual location. Your natural location is right now Colorado Springs. You're here, located physically here, but you have a spiritual location in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. You're a citizen of two worlds. But guess who has a, what, what has the highest rank of your citizenship? Is it your natural citizenship or your spiritual? spiritual. Your spiritual. Because we're ambassadors here. We're aliens. Tell someone you're an alien. <laughs> Sent from heaven. <laughs> Under guise as an American citizen. To impact people and bring them into the kingdom of God. And so, oftentimes, Christians are more focused in their natural citizenship than their heavenly citizenship. It's good to be a proud to be an American. Well, at least I know I'm free. But oftentimes, we focus on being an American before being a Christian. As an ambassador, an ambassador lives off the economy of the home country it comes from. Guess what? You don't live by Wall Street. You live by Gold Street. God uses gold as concrete in heaven. Guess what the law of heaven is? Health. What's the law of heaven? Prosperity. You live by, an ambassador lives by the laws of their home country in the, and they create, a, they create an embassy wherever they go where the laws of the, the kingdom is. So wherever you are, you have an embassy of the kingdom of God. But notice it says, faithful in Christ Jesus. This Greek word, pistos, can either be a believer or faithful. Some teach that he was writing to saints and then some in the congregation that were faithful. But I believe actually he's talking about believers, all believers in this verse. He's talking about them in Christ Jesus. And so here we see, did you notice before it was Jesus Christ? Now it's Christ Jesus. And so what's being emphasized? His divinity is... Why? Because it's a vertical. It's talking about his position in Christ Jesus vertically. So it's called Christ Jesus. And so it's very important that we meditate on these words in Christ Jesus. They're the most important verses, uh, uh, most important words in this book. Well, Pastor, I want you to get past this introduction, get to the meat while I'm just giving it to you. In Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to suck the air out of the room. (gasps) I'll put it back. You don't have a covenant with God. (gasps) I do have a covenant with my God. I know my covenant. No, hold on a second. God the Father has a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you accept Jesus, you enter into him, become united to him, and enter into the covenant because your connection with him. Whatever Jesus is and whatever Jesus has, he shares it with you. Isn't it nice of Jesus? Why are you a king and a priest? Because he's a king and a priest. Why are you holy? He's holy. Why, why do you have anything? Because he, why are you right? He's the righteous one. He shares everything equally with you. And so you're in one with him. You have to understand this. You're in union with Christ through the Holy Spirit to your spirit, one spirit with him. The phrases in Christ, in him, or the equivalent of that, Paul uses 164 times in his writings. It's very, very important. 
And so it's a very important thing that we meditate on all the in him verses, where it says in him, by him, through him. That is revealing, unlocking identity, unlocking the grace of God given to you, unlocking identity as he is, so are we in this present world. We need to find out about him, and in him we share it. So I have a gift for you today. I'm like God. He gives gifts. I'm not God, but I'm like him. On the way out, I have a book called In Him. In this book is the, all the verses about, all the verses that talk about in him. And the truths of, and so what I want you to, I'm going to give this a copy, and I'm going to talk about what to do with this. And so, uh, hold that a second. So on the way out, one per family. Well, pastor, I'm single. You're a family. One per family, and we'll give that to you. A Buddhist does not speak of himself as in Buddha. A Muslim does not speak of himself as in Muhammad. A Christian scientist is not in, in Mary Baker Eddy, the founder. A Mormon is not in Joseph Smith or in Brigham Young. Now, I have to give you this. A follower of Confucius is in confusion. That's the only one I could find. Only Christians can claim to be in Christ because they've been made one spiritually with him. One spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. All right, we're done with first verse. Let's move to second verse. Give us that. Give us that. Pastor, give past this introduction. No, well, no. Uh, you're going to miss the meaning and import of this book. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, parents, you have kids. What do you do when you want to emphasize something very, very important to your children? What will you do? You, you say it over and over and repeat it over and over. That's how I learned my multiplication tables. I'll never forget six times seven is 48. Never ever. It's grained in over and over again. This verse is the most used verse in the New Testament. Paul uses this verse 16 times in every one of his letters. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't just a nice greeting. This is the resource to live everything written afterwards. The grace of God. Look at the word grace. Charis. If you're from Karis, it's Karis. If you're from Texas, it's Karis. But the Greek is Charis. It means unmerited favor vertically, but horizontally it means God's power, his ability and strength, enabling you to do what you can never do in your own self. Grace is given to you the moment you're born again. Let me say this. I'm going to make a statement. All grace has been given to you when you got born again. Well, pastor, I don't see it. Where is it? It's in your spirit. It's in your spirit. Everything you would ever need is already deposited within your spirit. God never asks from you in the new covenant that he doesn't put within you to draw upon it to fulfill it. 
he asks you to love people, he's already shed abroad his love in your heart to live it out of it. Notice it says, Paul says, grace to you. Say grace to you. Grace Turn to someone and say grace to you. And Paul says it over and over, grace to you, 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 grace to you. I think that's 16. Trying to get through our thick skull, grace has been offered. So I'm going to bring something out to you. Notice Paul didn't say to pray for grace. Nowhere in Paul's writings does he say pray for grace. Why? Because it's already been given. Grace has been offered. Grace is over the years. Well, pastor, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 16. We'll pop that up. I agree. I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Well, what about this verse, pastor? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and obtain grace to help in time and need. And I'm supposed to pray for grace. Hold on a second. You misread it. You go to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, but find grace. You just need to see it. And you see it's what's been provided. It's already there. That's why the Holy Spirit shines a light saying, sweetheart, that's the grace. I've already provided it. This is the, pro this is the resource. Just draw upon it, act upon it, receive it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul's praying out a problem like all Christians do. Paul has a messenger from Satan buffeting his life. And three times he asked the Lord, take it away. And verse 9, the Lord answered and said to me, pray harder for grace that you may, it may be sufficient to you, Paul. Now what did he say? My grace is sufficient. Tell someone God's grace is sufficient for what you're going through right now. Pride keeps us out of it. All the in him verses reveal the grace provided in you and for you to live the Christian life. But notice grace to you, but he's got more. Grace to you and peace. Say peace. peace. Tell someone peace to you. Peace. Notice peace comes after grace. Peace always comes after grace. No grace. No peace. No unmerited favor based on what Jesus did for you, what he's already provided for you. There's no peace. This verse brings out the Hebrew and Greek worlds in these two words. The Greek mindset of charis, unmerited favor, was founded deeply in the Greek culture. But the Hebrew culture of peace is shalom. Uh, all, it means it's all-inclusive, it's well-being, it's prosperity, it's wholeness, nothing lacking. Tell someone shalom to you. Shalom. Grace and peace. Peace means to be bound together. When you got born again, you got bound together with God through Jesus Christ. And you're in covenant, unbreakable covenant through Jesus with him. You're in a covenant of wholeness and health and prosperity and peace, shalom. Religion, every religion you can name lacks these two things, grace and peace. 
There is absolutely no grace in religion and no peace in religion. And because of a relationship with Jesus, we can have both grace and peace. But what must come first? The foundation of grace, children of God, is the free forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and the future, and them being removed permanently from us. That's the foundation of grace to where you can have peace with God. Tell someone God's not in a bad mood. Tell him he's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ, from, from God our Father. Say God our Father. The Jews would never call God Father. The Muslim will never call God Father. But because of Jesus, you call God Father. Who is God? You know that guy that when you look up at night and you see all those stars? And that's just one galaxy? You know, he, the, the God that you're talking about, I'm talking about, created 100 billion of those galaxies? with 100 billion stars in every one of them and knows them all by name, uh, that is God. Oh, by the way, that, that God is your father. Tell someone that's your daddy. That brings peace. He's not mad at me. He loves me. And he's for me. If he needs to, he'll make a galaxy for me. What do you think we're going to do throughout eternity? Ruling all over this universe. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion, I want you to pick up this book only if you take my challenge. This is the challenge. Each day this week, I want you to take this book and take one verse, maybe two. And so right here you have like 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I want you to start thinking and meditating on this verse throughout the day. I think it's good to stress every word, singular. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things passed away. Well, Pastor, that's going to take a while. Well, you got all day. <laughs> Meditate on this. And then turn it into confession. First person present tense. And with this book, every verse has a confession under it. It says, I am, first person present tense, I am a new creature. Say, I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation being with the life of God, the nature of God, the ability of God within me. All right, so, so confess this over yourself and then worship and thank God for it. Now, if you, who wants to take my challenge? You can get one of these books. If not, leave it alone. If you already have one at home, you don't need to take it, that's fine. And so this isn't for all your friends aren't here yet. Do we want to make sure? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the richness 
of the Word of God. That before we're ever told to do something in chapter 4, we're told who we are by grace. Lord, I thank you. We're a saint, a holy one, been a defiled one that's been washed and, and made totally new for a new purpose. Help us, Holy Spirit, to renew our mind to that position as a saint so it will impact our, our life to be saintly. But Lord, we thank you that we're in Christ Jesus by the grace of God, not by what we've done. Lord Jesus, thank you for sharing who you are and what you, what you have with us equally and fully. We thank you for the grace that you offered us 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. You shouted from the housetops, grace to you and peace. Thank you for peace that we have with you. We worship you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God together.